Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that uh, we need you to speak. We need you to do that supernatural thing where you can take your word by the power of your spirit and plant it in our hearts and lives and change us to make us more like Jesus. We pray, Lord, that this wouldn't be an exercise in just a proliferation of information, but that we would be changed people that know how to win the fight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to begin walking through the most detailed teaching on spiritual warfare that we have in our Bibles, and that's out of Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible hand, you can open it to Ephesians 6. There's Bibles in the seat back in front of you, and we'll put these verses on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul starts by reminding the believers in Ephesus and reminding us that Ephesians 2, 2, 6 Verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, people are not your problem. Our struggle is not with human beings. Our enemies are not human, but demonic. You know, and the Ephesians were quite familiar with this fact. I mean, they would have doubtlessly remembered or heard about the incident of the Jewish exorcists in Ephesus who were naive enough to try to dismiss an evil spirit in the name of Jesus without themselves knowing the Jesus whose name they were using. So instead of succeeding in their attempt to accomplish an exorcism, they actually were overpowered by this demoniac, and they fled the house in panic and naked and battered. I'm sure this was a story that the town was talking about for a long time. And this kind of thing might have happened more than once in Ephesus. In fact, the Ephesian believers had dabbled in the occult, Before they became believers, we know this. We're going to see in just a moment the story in the book of Acts because they actually made a bonfire of all of their valuable books of black magic and they set them all on fire one day as they were repenting and coming to Christ. In fact, let's just read this story because I think understanding a little bit about how the Ephesians understood the spiritual realm is going to be helpful for us understanding how Paul addresses these believers and how to win that battle. Because they were familiar that that truly existed. There was a dark world out there. They understood that. Paul was going to make sure they understood now how to win over that dark world. Let's read the account. Acts chapter 19, starting verse 13. It says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists. Now keep in mind, this is happening in Ephesus. Some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? That's not what you want to hear. 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. This was the talk of the town. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, these practices of the occult. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing rap- mightily and prevailing. So the original recipients of Paul's letter to the Ephesians understood an awful lot about the unseen realm, understood an awful a lot about evil spirits. It's important for us to understand that because I think their understanding far exceeds the understanding of many in America today because of the experience that they had. So again, now let's go back and read that passage again, understanding that Paul's saying what he says to these people who had this kind of background. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Let's look at the verse again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's talking about spiritual forces of wickedness who are invisible, but deadly. And this is the army of Satan. Again, just remind you, And they were being reminded as well that our battle is not just against the devil, it's not just against Satan, but it's against legions of fallen angels. Remember that according to Revelation 12, the dragon's tail, this is a great image here, the dragon is clearly the devil, it says that in Revelation 12, he sweeps a third of the stars out of heaven, a reference to a third of the angels falling with him. So a third of the angels joined Lucifer in his rebellion, and now that's how many demons there are. They are fallen angels, they are demons. Now Paul, as in other passages, here he describes their rank and their organization that exists with this unseen supernatural evil power. He talks about principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He's making it very clear that there are ranks. That these forces are vast and they are organized in a hierarchy. In fact, I think there's three key things that he is explaining about these dark invisible forces in verse 12. Let me just summarize it this way. Number one, he says they're powerful. Number two, they are wicked. And number three, they are cunning. Powerful, wicked, cunning. In fact, in verse 11, he talks about the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. The devil is tactically shrewd and ingenious in his deception. He seldomly attacks openly He prefers darkness to the light. 
that when he transforms himself into an angel of light, as we are told in the scriptures, many are caught unsuspecting. Often prefers to be more subtle like a serpent. He sometimes confronts directly, but he also seduces us into compromise, deceives us into error. So his wiles take on many, many forms, and we're going to see that over these next few weeks. More of his wiles and his schemes. But he is at his wiliest. I don't know if that's a word or not, but I like it. (laughs) He's at his wiliest when he succeeds in persuading people that he does not even exist. Everything is just treated as a physical or psychological problem. And that's crept into the church around the world. But in light of how dark and powerful and how wicked and cunning the devil is, how can we expect to stand against his assaults? The only way we can do that is we have to fight our enemy, not in our own strength, in our own ingenuity, but in God's power. That's why Paul starts the passage, because I actually started in verse 12, but he actually starts his passage in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. That's why he says this, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Whose armor is it? Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The power is the Lord's power. We have to find our strength in him to win this fight. So we need to take up his armor that he's provided for us. He's provided the armor. We need to put it on piece by piece. We can't and we don't have the option to just take a piece or two. We have to have all of the armor to withstand the assault that is coming against us. Ephesians 6, verse 13, that's why he says this, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day on that time of assault, on that time when a big wave is coming against you, and some of you are feeling that now. Take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. So we put on the full armor of God. We take up the weapons he's provided for us that if we take them up, we can win the fight. That's the only way to fight demonic powers. We have to use God's weapons. I want you to imagine that you are standing on the banks of recently, we just had another tsunami in Indonesia. Keep those people in your prayers. But can you imagine, here comes this this wall of water, and you're standing there with a flamethrower. Are you going to stop that wall of water with a flamethrower? No. 
No, that weapon will not work there. Let's say you are trying to stop a forest fire and you got a high beam light shining on the forest fire. Is that going to stop the forest fire? No, you need a different weapon there. See, the same thing about spiritual warfare. We cannot fight spiritual warfare with human weapons. We must use weapons that are spiritual weapons that are the armor of God. Now, Paul, when he writes this, actually is chained to a Roman soldier, a Roman guard, I should say, as he wrote the letter. And the Roman guard that he was chained to as he wrote this letter would not have been wearing the full, you know, army, uh, uh, you know, uniform. But he had seen it many times. And he's thinking about that now as a metaphor to help us understand the pieces that we need to put in place to win the fight. And so he's going to now talk about each of those parts of the armor we must put on. We're actually going to do this in two parts. We'll take the first three pieces of the armor today, and next Sunday, the next three pieces he talks about. But he starts to list these, and I think he starts with what is so crucial and essential. The first piece of armor, he says, to win the fight, we must cinch on the belt of truth. Ephesians 6.14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The Roman soldiers wore a wide, thick belt, leather belt, or kind of girdle-like. The belt held the soldier's sword, obviously, and some other equipment hung on that belt. Equipment the modern infantry man, man of, the, of the Roman first century needed, but it also held the breastplate in place which we'll talk about in the next piece of armor. But it was essential that he would gird up his loins, so to speak, that he might have freedom to move in battle, that he not get tripped up in battle. When he girded up or tightened his belt, he was ready to fight. Freedom of movement. This belt was indispensable. It was essential for all of his armor, which the same way today, truth is the essential centerpiece of our armor today is the truth. We must be rooted and grounded in truth if we're going to be able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. So I want to point out some aspects of truth that we must put on if we're going to be able to win the fight. First of all, we must have a right relationship to the truth. Remember, Jesus said that he's the way and the truth and the life. We cannot withstand an attack of the enemy without a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. That's where it all starts. We have no chance of standing against the devil and his minions without a right relationship with the one who is the truth, Jesus. The sons of Sceva found that out, didn't they? Again, just like the belt of truth holds everything together in our armor, so does a right relationship with Jesus Christ hold everything together and are withstanding the enemy's assaults. You cannot win this fight over the devil and his minions without having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're, if you're here today or listening to live stream and you've not yet said yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then that is where it all starts. If you want to win the fight that is surrounding you every day, you have to have a relationship with Christ. That's where it starts. Repent and believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I think it was over, well over 20 years now ago, and there's a few of you in this room might remember this, 
I know Jerry Bates, you remember this, because you and I w worked on this together. There was a, there was a Sunday, we were, meet, we were meeting in a, in a house, actually, at the time. It was probably 25 years ago. We were meeting in a house, and as in very, our church is small, and one of the men came to me that morning before the services started and said he had a dream. He said, I have a dream that the Lord, the Lord showed me that there's a young lady coming to church, and there's this dark black cloud following her she's bringing to the church. And I just said, okay, thanks. I mean, I, you know, just I'll kind of keep that in mind. When it was that morning, we were actually teaching on spiritual warfare. And into our service comes a young lady who later on we found out was the daughter of the, of the satanic high priest of Fort Worth. And she came into our meeting and during our meeting during the worship time, she started manifesting demons. And we brought her into a back room and we began to try to cast the demons out. Got it. And to make a very, very long story short for you, that afternoon after three hours, we were unable to get the demons out of her. And so I remember what Jesus said at one point in the Gospels. He said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So some of us went and fasted for three or four days, and we, and, we had a, and we actually were able to meet back up with this young lady. And as we did that, she just with one, I mean, we didn't feel any different, but we had fasted and prayed for those four days, and just with a simple word, come out in the name of Jesus, they all came out. And it was dramatic. The whole thing was very dramatic. But after that, tears were coming down her face, and I said, and now you have to have Jesus come into your life. She said, I don't want Jesus. But I don't want the demons back either. I said, if you don't, if you don't have Jesus, they're coming back. She said, I don't want them back. I said, Jesus is the only way. You have to have Jesus come into your life she said, but I don't want him. I just want to be left alone. I said, it's not how it works. They're going to come back. Jerry, you remember that conversation we had with that young lady? And, uh, but she wouldn't do it. And we, we left heartbroken. And that is so crucial. We have got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ if we're going to withstand the assault of the enemy. That's where it all starts. There must be a relationship with Jesus to win the fight. So we must actually, if we're going to put on the truth, the very first thing we've got to put on the one who is the truth, amen? Yeah. If we're going to win this fight, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. But there's even more to truth that I want to talk about. Secondly, or B, we must believe the objective truth of the word of God. Remember, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and truth shall set you free. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth you know that sets you free. Let me say that again. You've got to know the truth to walk in freedom. You have to know it. Just as the Roman belt allows the Roman soldier when he cinch, cinches it up, you know, and girds up his tunic so he can be free to fight. So the truth, as we believe the truth it enables us to not be so easily tripped up in our fight and not become a casualty of war. 
By the way, one of the biggest truths that you can know in order to win the fight is to know who you are in Christ. Knowing your identity in Christ, know that truth will enable you to walk in freedom and win the fight. You know, most Christians don't know who they are. You know, you know in fact, when I, when I get the privilege and honor to travel different parts of the world and, and, and meet with pastors from these different nations, this is one of the first things I always go over with them. And everyone will say, you know, a lot of times these pastors have never been taught this. Who they are in Christ. Here's the truth. The truth is when you've been born again, you have a new identity. And it's so important that you know now who, who you are in that new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. New things, behold, new things have come. You're a new creature in Christ. You have a new identity. When you turn to Christ as Savior and Lord, you become this new creature with this new identity. And knowing that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the devil doesn't want you to know that. So he's got to somehow try to keep this truth, you know, from Christians. Remember, Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. So what does he use to keep so many believers in some type of bondage and captivity still? He uses lies. He uses lies. And Paul understood this. That's why he says what he says to the Ephesians. That's why he takes the first three chapters of Ephesians. Before he gets to chapters 4 and 5 on behavior, before he gets to chapter 6 on spiritual warfare, he does something in the first three chapters. You know what he does? The whole first three chapters of Ephesians, he tries to remind these believers and us, remember who you are. Remember who you are. He doesn't tell them the first three chapters of Ephesians to do anything. He tells them over and over what their identity is now in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, who you are now. So remembering who you are, remembering your true identity is crucial for us being able to behave right and to win the battle. You know, you really can't do effectively Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 and chapter 6 if you don't really get chapters 1 through 3. We got to know our identity in Christ and I've, I've done, not, it wasn't very long ago, I did a whole message on this here. And I just want to remind you of the 10 things that he points out in the first three chapters of Ephesians on our identity. Go ahead and put that up there on the screen. And, this, one, and this, is, this is worth meditating on, by the way. 10 things that Paul points out about the identity of believers. Really what it means to be in Christ. He says, you are loved you are forgiven, you are adopted, you are included, you are a saint, you have purpose, you have power and authority, you have promise, you have security, and you have a great future. I tell you, this is worth meditating on, and I put the verses next to these, and, and you can go online and get the, all, these, all this PowerPoint every Sunday from our website, gracearlington.com. Or you can take a picture of that slide right now with your phone, which some of you are doing, I'm seeing you. And just meditate on this truth. I tell you what, I have done this thousands of times. This, the truth of this, I mean, carried verses with me over and over to get this truth in me. I am loved. I am forgiven. I have been adopted. I am included. 
I am a saint. I have purpose. I have power and authority. I have promise. I have security. And I have a great future. Get that, get, make that, you know, 18-inch putt from your head to your heart by meditating on this truth and believing it. Knowing the truth about who you are is key to winning the fight because the devil's a liar. I tell, when I, I lead someone to Christ, one of the first things I tell them is, now I want you to understand something. You just made this decision. Jesus never says no to anybody who says yes to him. I want you to understand that. I give him some verses, then I say, now I want you to know this. The devil's a liar. And he's going to lie to you about all of we, what we just said. You've got to believe the truth. Stand on the truth. So another aspect of believing the objective truth of the word of God is believing that he's going to keep his promises to you. Now, this is really important. You've got to believe the truth. The truth is all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, right? You've got to believe that he's going to keep every promise to you. Because if you start to doubt that he's going to keep his promises to you, you'll slip into disappointment, despair, and depression. And some of you are there right now. Some of you are going through something that is so horrible and so difficult that it's easy for you to think, is God ever going to keep a promise to me? Is he ever going to come through? And it's so important that we cinch up the bell of truth and say, I'm, I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on. It's Romans 8, 28, for we know that God causes all things. Does your Bible say all things? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is the word of God. That is the truth. That verse is true. And it is always true. There's never a time that verse is not true. Yet many of us are going through things right now that are thinking, but how in the world can he take what I'm in right now and turn it for good? How? The answer is this. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. You know, Tracy's an awesome, amazing cook, and there's been times I've walked through the kitchen while she's cooking, and I'm reaching in and out of pots, and I'm tasting stuff, and she's like hitting me with a spoon, get out of the kitchen, and, and I'll say, that doesn't taste good. And she'll say, it's not done yet. You got to mix it all together, and it's got to marry, and there's got to be time, and then you taste it, and it's like, whoa, that is awesome. Right now, some of you are in the midst of something that doesn't taste good, but all the ingredients haven't been put in yet. And, only, and God's the cook. He's putting in the ingredients. And when he's done with it, not only will it be good, you know what? Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. It'll be good. It'll be better than good. Because the one who's doing the cooking is able to do it exceeding abundantly beyond all that we even think. And I can think this could turn out really, really good. And he can do beyond that. So cinch up the belt of truth. You, you who are despairing today, believe the promises of God and cinch it up again. Some of you might have loosened your belt a little bit because of what you're going through, cinch it up. So I'm holding on to that promise, Lord. Don't let disappointment, despair, and depression win the day. Don't let it happen. 
Cinch up the belt of truth. God is good. Believe that God will keep all his promises and believe the truth of the word of God. There's one more aspect of truth, and I'm taking most of the time on this very first part of the armor because it's so important. Another aspect of the truth is that we have to live our life by walking in subjective truth. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about truth in the inward parts. The importance of being truthful on the inside. The importance of integrity. Not being tripped up because we're starting to compromise our integrity. That means no secret lives, no secret sin, no hidden thing that we in the darkness, but we live in the light. You know, there's this, there's this pastor I knew for, for years. I found out for years he was living a secret life and was getting away with it. And I thought, how in the world did he get away with it so long? I mean, he wasn't wearing, I mean, he was not walking in truth in that belt that holds up his breastplate of righteousness. He didn't have practical righteousness either. How come the devil didn't just take him down right away? I mean, he didn't have any the armor on. How did he make it so long without getting taken down? I was wondering. I thought, you know, the devil could have taken him down anytime. Because he wasn't he wasn't armored up. And the devil just waits until he can take him down at a time that brings the most damage. The belt of truth holds all the other equipment in place. If you don't know the truth, know Jesus. And if you don't believe the truth, believe the word of God, who you are in Christ, believe his promises. And then walk in truth, walk in integrity. If you do that, then you're holding everything together. If you don't do that, if you don't do that, then all the pieces fall off and you are wide open for attack. Truth holds your armor together. It's key to winning the battle. All right, the second piece of our armor is the breastplate of righteousness. To win the fight, we must strap on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 614 of Ephesians, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was this vital piece of armor that covered the chest and the back, like a modern policeman's body armor. Its purpose was to defend the soldiers from arrows and spears and swords that were trying to be thrust at your vital organs, mainly your heart, mainly your heart. The Christian's heart is the primary target of the devil. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So what protects our heart from the attack of the enemy is righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness, in the way the Apostle Paul uh, uses it more often than not, is referring to justification. That is, justification is God's gracious initiative in putting sinners right with himself through Christ. Here's the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. So he takes all of our sin upon himself on the cross. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he takes our sin. This is an amazing exchange. He takes our sin off of us, bears it, gives us his righteousness imputed on us. That's why Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to be the accuser against God's elect? Not God. God's the one who justifies. God's the one who already said, they're righteous. I gave them the righteousness of Christ. How do you accuse somebody who's got their breastplate of righteousness, knows they have imputed righteousness, know they got the righteousness of Christ? The devil's accuser of the brethren, and I already spent all some time talking about this a few weeks ago. He accuses us night and day. Our breastplate protects our hearts from accusation. We know that we have Christ's righteousness. Know it. We know it. We know it. We know it. We have been justified. We have total acceptance before God. We are holy and blameless in his sight. We got to believe that. So the devil can't play the, you know, our past failures on the big screen TV of our minds and then say, you are not worthy. We've been justified. We've been made holy and blameless in God's eyes. So the breastplate of righteousness has to do with our justification. We have got to know this truth and wear it. Believe it. But also there's a practical righteousness that we need to wear. You know, we need to walk in daily holiness. There's a sense in which if we start to just live in sin and aren't concerned about holiness, that we are leaving ourselves open for a, for a you know, attack to be run through by the enemy. Proverbs 10.9 says this, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way his ways will be found out. Wow. He who walks with integrity walks securely. So you're walking securely because your armor's on. But he who perverts his way will be found out. Why? Because your armor's off. Many years ago, there's a Christian friend that was cheating on his wife, and no one knew about it, but he got found out. And he was just, uh, he just didn't think he was going to get found. I thought, do you think you're the one person this verse isn't going to apply to? He who perverses his way will be found out. And by the way, that's a sobering thing. If any of you are doing some things you know you shouldn't be doing, don't, don't think, well, I'm getting away with it because it's not over. You better go ahead and repent quickly because you will be found out. Don't leave off your breastplate of righteousness, practically speaking, either. Walk in holiness. Don't let the enemy... So put on your positional breastplate of righteousness. Know who you are in Christ. You have his righteousness. You're holy and blameless in God's sight. But also wear the practical righteousness by walking in holiness. Don't leave your breastplate off and live a secret life. Walk in integrity. All right, the third piece of armor. To win the fight, we must put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6.15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the shoes the Roman soldiers wore in battle were kind of boot-like sandals. They had long spikes. It was called caliga. Jewish historian Josephus said they were thickly studded with sharp nails like cleats. That was so the infantryman could dig in and hold his ground. That's the picture you have there of the gospel. So what's he talking about here? How does that relate to the gospel? One thing for sure that he's talking about is the importance of the gospel in spiritual warfare. If we give up the truth of the gospel, everything collapses. Here's what Apostle Paul says the gospel is, 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what it is. Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, which also you stand, by which also you are saved, 
if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, now he's going to tell us what the gospel is. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. That is, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And later on he says in verse 14, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. It is crucial that we do not compromise any point of the gospel. He, Christ died for our sins. There's a substitutionary atonement. He took our place, bore our sin, and absorbed our judgment. That really happened. And then he was buried. He did die. And he was buried. And then he did rise. He rose from the dead. Bodily resurrection of Christ. We can't give up any of this. And church, the church throughout history around the world has given up all of it in many different times in different places. Great cathedrals across Europe that at one time were full of people are now museums. What happened? How did the devil get the ground back? The devil got the ground back because they gave up the gospel. Not very long ago, one of the, one of the, a pastor of the, one of the largest churches in America was on a talk show Larry King and also Oprah Winfrey asked the same question in both talk shows. The question he was asked, is Jesus the only way to heaven? There's a simple answer to that, isn't there? The answer is yes. Jesus said he was the only way. The apostles preached he's the only way. He's asked that question, and you can go to YouTube and see it. And he hum hauls around and stammers and stutters and says, well, I, I just can't be the judge of anybody. And the answer is, yes, he's the only way. He said he's the only way. The apostles preached he's the only way. And if, the, if there was another way, then he would have never had to go to the cross and do what he did. We have to make our stand on the gospel. Don't give an inch on this most important of all truths. Don't compromise it. Be willing to die for it. Before it's over, some of us might. So the devil will attack the truth because he knows the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Romans 1.16, the apostle Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel saves people from the domain of darkness. The devil is losing people because of the gospel. He doesn't want to lose people. He wants to keep on control and dominion as much as he can, so he's got to get Christians to give up the gospel. And so many Christians just so, so easily do. Because it's not politically correct today to say Jesus is the only way. Is it? I'll tell you what, it's going to be more and more in the days to come, not politically correct. But I'm glad I'm not a politician, I'm a preacher. Never forget that you're a recipient of the gospel yourself. Not only do we hold our ground on the truth of it, we're actually recipients of it. And being a recipient of the gospel means that I have peace with God now. And by the way, that's real important in spiritual warfare, knowing I'm at peace with God. 
Romans 5, 1, I mean, Paul, first of all, calls it the gospel of peace. I think he's trying to emphasize that point. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were at war with God, but now we're at peace with God. We were on the other side, now we're on his side. I tell you, I think it's awfully hard to fight the devil if you're not sure how God feels about you. But if I know I've got peace with God, I know how he feels about me. I'm on his side now. And I can fight the devil and I can win. I think it's a whole lot easier to make a stand against the devil if I know that he is for me, God is for me, not against me. Now, as we get ready to close here, I want to come back to the belt of truth again. The belt of truth holds it all together. Because as I was praying about this message, I was thinking about the people I talk to every week. Different people, different times. But it's rare for me to go through a week without talking to somebody that's not in a place of despair and anguish. And they're wondering how they're going to get through it. Well, Romans 8.20 again tells us that God's going to turn it for our good. But here's what I want us to think about. What might that look like? What might that look like? I was thinking back to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. you remember the anguish he was in? Do you remember what he's praying for? In anguish, sweating blood. Do you remember what he prayed for? I mean, wasn't, he, wasn't his prayer a prayer of deliverance? He said, if there is another way, Father, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. Um, he's asking, is there, is there any other way that I don't have to do this? There's a sense in which he's, this is a prayer of deliverance. My question to you is, does God the Father answer his son's prayer? Does God the Father deliver the son? Well, the answer is, yes, he does. But he doesn't deliver him on Good Friday. He delivers him on Sunday. And he doesn't deliver him by taking away the cross. He delivers him by resurrecting him after the cross. Here's the truth that I want us to get a hold of. Anytime God answers your prayers in a different way and at a different time than you asked for, if your prayer is according to his, the word and his will, you can be sure that it will be a better way in a better time. See, he answered Jesus' prayer. He did answer it, but he answered it in a better way at a better time. He answered it with resurrection on Sunday instead of taking away the cross on Friday. He answered it. He did answer it, but it was a better way and a better time. And a lot of you right now are praying prayers and you're saying, where's the answer? Where's the answer? Some of you have been praying some things for decades. Where is it, Lord? If God answers your prayer in a different way, in a different time than you're praying it, then you've got to believe it's going to be a better way in a better time. You say, okay, but Jesus is still sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's still there in anguish. 
And some of you say, but I'm still here. I believe what you're saying, but I'm still here in anguish. Right now, I'm still in anguish. Jesus in Gethsemane was still in anguish. So God the Father, what do you do in the meantime? While I'm waiting for the better way and the better time that I believe. Right now, I'm still in anguish. What, what do you do in the meantime, God? So what does the Father do in the meantime with Jesus? He strengthens how? How does he strengthen him? He sends an angel. That's what the Gospels say. Read him. He sends an angel to strengthen him. He's in anguish, but he's been strengthened now to go to the cross. Remember, the Son of God became a man. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. He emptied himself of all divine prerogatives. And he became a man, then he does his ministry as a man by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is right there in anguish. An angel sent to strengthen him. And some of you are right now, and you're waiting for the better way and better time. And right now you say, but I sure need to be strengthened right now in the meantime. And that's how I think we want to close our service. So let's all stand together and invite Joey to come on up. He's going to sing a song over us. Do you guys believe that right now God the Father could send angels into this room to strengthen people? I believe it. I think he wants to. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but those of you that say, I'll take that. I'll take that today. I mean, I'm feeling it. I my need for that. And just during this song, just come on down. And just kneel or stand down here. And some of you right now maybe are not in that same place. You just come down and pray for them. But Father, you know where, what place each one of us is in right now. You know those who are in anguish. You know those who... Lord is saying, okay, Lord, I believe you, you're going to come through, but I don't know how much more I can take of this. So, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, first of all, would you enable people just to be honest and real and for us just to be a family today and receive from you. And, Father, we, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, and, I, and we're agreeing together, would you dispatch from heaven even legions of angels, whatever it takes, Lord, to strengthen what needs to happen down here right now. Would you release that? We believe it. We believe it's an easy thing for you to do. One word, one glance from your throne and the angels are on their way, Lord. Would you do it, Lord? In Jesus' name. So if that's you, you're saying, I'll take some of that. Come on down to the front during the song and we're going to pray for you.
Reach out your hand and touch me. Come like a flood of healing rain. Breathe out your life. Revive me. Just speak a word and make me whole. I know you can. I know you will. I'm not afraid to hope. Though my flesh is weak. Could some more of you come down and pray for people, please. I find my faith secure. Underneath your wings. Reach out your hand and touch me. Come like a flood of healing rain. Breathe out your life above. Revive me. Just speak a word and make me whole. Oh, reach out your hand. And touch me, come like a flood of healing rain. Breathe out your life, revive me. Just speak the word and make me whole. I know yes. you can. I encourage all of you, and you're still in your seat, just extend your hands this direction. Father, we ask that you would now release that ministry of strengthening. In Jesus' name, we receive it. We receive it right now. We receive it. We believe it. We receive it like we, even like we're seeing the angels ourselves. We receive it and believe it. We receive the strength coming from heaven. We know it's coming from you. Let it come, Lord. Just let it come. Let none of us miss it right now. Strength to go on through the anguish, through the despair, strength to go on. We believe you're coming through. We believe you're going to do it. Strengthen us now, Lord. Take away that enemy the weapon has of despair and hopelessness and depression. Lord, take it away because we believe and we receive the strength right now. We receive it. We receive it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. You start to thank him. We thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for it. I thank you. You're enough. I thank you've given enough. I thank you for it. And I'm going on believing, Lord. I'm, I'm going on. I'm soldiering on, Lord, to the end. To the end, Lord. We pray, Lord, with this week, we just find ourselves, as the enemy tries to counterattack and discourage, Lord, we pray that none of his week-long attacks that are coming would work in Jesus' name. No counterattacks would work. It all fall flat in the name of Jesus as we cinch up the belt of truth, as we put on the breastplate of righteousness and we put on the gospel of peace. So Lord, just continue to teach us how to armor up and win the fight. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. 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 Give somebody a hug here before you leave. God bless you guys.